Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs. Welcome to the Great America Show. Great to have you with us. These are our crazy times we live in, but don't you get the sense that as crazy as they are, they don't need to be quite this crazy. President Biden is in Asia telling everyone that the United States has a commitment to defend Taiwan militarily. Didn't take the White House long to correct the president on that one. A new marker so that we know for sure the contest between pro-life and pro-abortion is real and ratcheting up quickly. Whoopi Goldberg is the new referee for all things Catholic, apparently, giving the Archbishop of San Francisco a little spiritual advice, and none too kindly either. Here's Whoopi on The View. The Archbishop of San Francisco is calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. He's one of the priests who also called for President Biden to be denied sacrament. This is not your job, dude. (laughs) That is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. And now the contest between life and abortion is officially a battle. And this week, the global elites are descending on the ski resort town of Davos, high in the Swiss Alps for the World Economic Forum 2022, their annual meeting. Klaus Schwab, the organization's founder and leader, said the, quote, return of war, epidemics, and the climate crisis, all the disruptive forces have derailed the global recovery, end quote. But of course, Klaus has answers, fixes, and an agenda always prepared for the heads of state, government ministers, including the head of the European Commission, the head of NATO, and even John Kerry, the Biden envoy on climate. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? To cover all this, the intrepid host of Human Events Daily, Jack Posobiec, is in Davos, and he and his camera crew found the Swiss have a sterner view of freedom of speech and press than do Americans. Here's what happened. Excuse me, can I ask you why you're detaining this journalist? Can you put the phone away, please? Uh, can I ask you why you're detaining this journalist? I don't answer your question. Is it uh, not, uh, we're not able to away. report here? Please put Excuse the phone me? away. Okay. Uh, can I ask you guys yeah, why you you're can, being detained? Can you, yeah, can you um, please stop filming? Then we How, can talk. Uh, why do I need to stop filming? Because I ask you to. It's, the per, it's my personal right because I don't like to be filmed. Okay. And it's a right in Switzerland. Um, if I don't want to but be But can filmed. I ask why he's being detained then? I won't point the camera at you then. I won't film you, but I would like to know why this journalist is being detained on public property. We're not, we're, what, what's detained? Uh, can you explain How come he's being surrounded right now? Is he uh-huh. allowed to leave the area? We're, we're just um, making a normal police control uh, because, you know, it's WEF, everything is, is very sensitive. Is there a reason sensitive. he specifically was targeted? Uh, there is a reason because we, we have to have a reason to to, to to uh, so control a, a what person. What was the reason? What was he doing? 
I don't have to tell you that. Why? Why you? Why are you asking me that? Uh, because this is, uh, you know, he's. Uh, there's many journalists here, and I want to yeah, know why no. he specifically is being detained. There, there is a reason, but uh, everything is clear now, and um, we're about to leave in just a few seconds. Thank you. Okay. Um, yeah. Could you please now? Uh, can I ask you please to delete your your. Jack Posovic, thanks for being with us here on The Great America Show. Uh, after watching, listening to you being detained, uh, I, I can't believe that was actually Switzerland. Uh, tell us what happened. Well, I'm actually I'm, I'm calling in right now from the side of a mountain in the Alps in Switzerland. It's, uh, it's rainy right now, but I'm overlooking the World Economic Forum Summit. Uh, Turning Point USA had sent me out here. We were covering this. We're putting together a um, a new docu series and a pamphlet called "The Great Global Reset," and uh, we were out filming, uh, getting some shots in front of the entrance so people could see what it looked like. You know, here on the ground. You know, just some basic, sure, basic reporting. And um, when we first had set up, and and they saw us setting up, and you know, I'm kind of dressed like a reporter and talking into a camera, so I think they kind of know what I probably am doing. Uh, they came by and they said, hey, can we see your press pass? Can we look at your passport? I said, sure, no problem. No big deal. Plainclothes officer first spot came by and we said, sure, no problem. Finish everything up. Um, go to take a rest, uh, recharge some of the batteries, some of the equipment with the crew. And at that point, two police vans rolled up and fully kitted up tactical officers storm out of the vans with MP5 uh, semi-automatic machine guns and semi-automatic rifles and um, basically surrounded us and said, we need to see your passports, your press credentials. We need to see what you're doing and we need to check you. They proceeded then to um, take us around the corner of this sort of a corner, corner of the building, this sort of a stack of tables blocking us from the rest of the view. And they proceeded to frisk us one by one empty out your pockets, empty out everything. What are you doing here? Who are you Outrageous. working for? I said, work for Turning Point USA. They sent us out doing a documentary, completely above board. Um, what are you filming? Then a detective comes in. And only later when another journalist by the name of Savannah Hernandez, who's also covering the World Economic Forum, showed up and started filming the detention, that at that point, they, they backed off and, and immediately um, stormed away. Stormed is an interesting uh, verb uh, because, I mean, that does sound like stormtroopers. Uh, that's outrageous. The Swiss uh, have some peculiar laws and some peculiar ideas, uh, but they they insist on knowing what's going on all of the time. They knew who you were, don't you think? Well, I know that they knew who I was because I had already given them my information about an hour prior. That same plainclothes uh. officer came over with them again. And so I can only surmise that we were targeted for that extra detention, secondary screening, I guess they call it, um, when you're at the airport, only this time with MB5s pointed in your direction, that, um, that they were doing this because not just because of, of what we were doing, but also because of who we were. Exactly. And uh, this ties into Klaus Schwab and his statements leading up to the beginning of the Davos uh, meeting, uh, the Davos summit. Uh, he had made it very clear that uh, there was going to be uh, no uh, trivialization, I'll put it that way, of the Davos uh, reset or the Davos summit. 
uh, he's here's what his uh, exact quote is. I condemn it wholeheartedly, particularly of those who have nothing to do with the World Economic Forum community and just come to Davos to hijack our brand, as he put it. Uh, this is uh, this man is Teutonic by DNA, uh, but uh, he is uh, starting to sound slightly fascist, don't you believe? Well, I certainly, given the experience I've just had, I uh, felt like that was at the hands of the uh, the East German Stasi coming out and saying, mm-hmm. you know, papers, please, and uh, immediately point the guns, go right up, and uh, you are surrounded very quickly. And as you can see in the video, um, you know, if folks go onto, uh, onto Twitter or Truth or wherever they go, that, um, you know, we're, we're sitting on the side of a, of a bench um, outside of a restaurant, you know, kind of planning our next move for the docuseries. And they immediately swarm around us. Um, this goes to show you that what they're doing at the World Economic Forum and what they're also doing down the road at Geneva with the World Health Order Assembly that's going on, the WHO Assembly that's going on, uh, World Health Organization. This is t- the two-pronged assault on our freedoms, a two-pronged assault on our sovereignty here in the West. I've said it for a long time, they are trying to copy the CCP model. That is what the Great Reset is. It is a copy of the CCP's authoritarian model. And you better believe that freedom of the press is not part of that. Nor freedom of expression of any kind. The, as you make that point, President Trump, of course, withdrawing the United States from the WHO, worked diligently to do so. And now we're hearing from this administration that we're going to subordinate our sovereignty uh, to the World Health Organization, i.e., the United Nations, for crying out loud, we're moving at an um, incredible speed toward that one-world government that we all thought uh, was you know, partly fiction and partly uh, unattainable, at least in the next uh, few decades. And here we are in 2022. Well, Lou, not only that, but one thing that a story that I inadvertently broke while uh, going through this ordeal was that and, and my crew as well, by the way, each of them were were first at the same time. And we late we found out that, you know, as someone who's a, a Navy veteran myself, um, I'm always interested in looking at the various unit badges or uh, accoutrements that are on any military paramilitary uniform. So I'm looking at the uniforms of the officers that are detaining us. And Lou, wouldn't you believe what it says on their uniform? And I have a photo of this where it says World Economic Forum Police on this guy's shoulder. Oh, boy. And I would have and I have to confess my naivete. I thought that uh, the World Economic Forum just made a call to the local gendarmes and uh, uh, had, had sick them on you. Or, or at worst, uh, Klaus picks up the phone and calls his good friend, the mayor. It's far worse than that. What what uniform, what unit were they? As far as I can tell, it seems as though it was some sort of cooperation between a local unit that has now tasked officers for this. And this clearly was a QRF, we would call it in the military, a quick reaction force, two vans that stormed in very quickly. People popped out. Hey, we've got a couple of suspicious guys. Right, I'm I'm speaking as somebody who used to be on the other side of the aisle. That we've got a couple of suspicious guys. We need to go. Need you to go in and check them out. Going quickly, they might cause trouble. So make sure you have your MP5s 
loaded up while you go out and do this. And that's exactly what they did. So this was a quick reaction force that seemed to be a, a joint partnership between a local Swiss police force and the World Economic Forum now operating under the auspices of the World Economic Forum police. That, it's just it's just almost unbelievable to to imagine that this is happening in 2022 in in Switzerland. Now Switzerland can be a little quirky uh, when it comes to law and order. Uh, sometimes they err considerably on uh, away from the margins that most Americans would see as margins. But Klaus Schwab is now talking so big as a leader, as the leader of the uh, of Davos. He pledged the world can find salvation at Davos 2022. I, I mean, you have a great story there. If you can cover it, are you going to be able to cover it? Lou, I, I said this uh, on another hit I just did, and I'll say it again. I am not going anywhere, Mr. Schwab. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to continue reporting on this, and I'm going to see this story all the way through. You are not going to be rid of me that easily. Well, good for you, Jack. And I wouldn't have expected any other response on uh, from you on that. Uh, were you charged with anything? Were you threatened? Um, they did not charge us at all. I mean, they said they certainly said, oh, this is just routine. This is a basic thing that we're doing. Obviously, we know it's not routine. It's not a basic thing they're doing. Uh, they did not claim any charges. However, when we asked them why we were being detained, and we did at one point ask if we could leave, they said no. Um, they said, there is a reason that you are being detained, but we don't have to tell you. And I, I loved one other part of that sound. When we control someone, when we take control of someone, uh, it was, I, I thought, I, you know, that, that is uh, shivers uh, up, your, up your spine stuff uh, to think that the, this is going on. Again, as I say, 2022, maybe I'm just catching the wrong uh, angle on the arc, but it looks to me like uh, Switzerland is headed in a very, very much an authoritarian direction uh, along with the World Economic Forum. Uh, any, any further thoughts uh, for the audience as you comp comprehend here uh, in just a matter of hours what's happened to you? Well, folks, this, this, is why, this is why the First Amendment and freedom of the press are so important in the United States of America. Now, last week, the Washington Post came after me and essentially gave me credit for, dis for being the person that set into motion the demise of this disinformation governance board, Nini Yankovic, uh, at the Department of Homeland Security. Taylor Lorenz wrote the article. And what we've now shown in two instances that I you know, really didn't intend on my own, certainly didn't plan this, that from one instance, we see why the First Amendment is important in America, and then also how we have to fight to keep the First Amendment in America and prevent law enforcement boards coming in in the United States under the auspices of protecting us from from censorship and, uh, you know, denying disinformation and access point to the Internet. No, we know what you're doing. They are trying to turn the Department of Homeland Security just into the same type of paramilitary force as the World Economic Forum apparently is today. So I'm sorry, but it turns out that Switzerland's much vaunted and longstanding Swiss neutrality is no longer 
a thing of the current. It is a thing of the past. They have declared their allegiance and their allegiance is to the World Economic Forum. And unfortunately, a huge number of governments around the world have also uh, done exactly the same thing. And troubling for every American should be the fact that so many U.S. multinationals are joining uh, with those governments. Uh, and the result is a broad political force at work against our sovereignty and our Constitution. Uh, you, all, you know, we always give you the last word here. Uh, Jack, your thoughts, your concluding thoughts uh, on, on your experience today? Well, Lou, it's as simple as this. We need to stand up for our freedoms. We need to stand our ground. And when people come and challenge us on our freedoms, when people come and challenge us and say, we are going to take away your liberty in the name of the greater good, in the name of helping you, you need to stand up and say no, because the tyranny of good intentions is tyranny still. Amen. Jack, thanks so much. Glad you're safe. And, uh, and thanks, as always, for your great work. Uh, Jack Posobiec joining us here today from Davos, Switzerland. You know this world is changing quickly, and yes, there is war, pestilence, and upheaval, and global forces are at work, dark forces at work around the world. Keeping America alert to such forces, such threats, and challenges is Steve Bannon's war room. No one is more vigilant than Steve and his team. No one casts a broader watch on the global elites who prefer authority to counsel, power to consensus, and who sneer at the idea the people must be informed and the governed's consent be required. Steve Bannon, it's great to have you with us. Thanks, my friend, for being here. Let's start big today. We have a third-rate electoral system in this country. Right now, we don't know and may not know for weeks who won the GOP senatorial primary in Pennsylvania. What do you make of it, Steve? It, uh, I tell you, Lou, I don't think there's anything that upsets me more than to think that we're two years after the big steal. And, you know, this is all falls on Wolf and these Democrats. But you see, they don't know how to run anything and they're going to try to cheat us. I mean, this is people got to get on top of this. That's why we need everybody to go to precinctstrategy.com and sign up. It's free, but sign up to be an election official, sign up to be a precinct committeeman. I mean, listen. My understanding is that the law says it's June 7th when it has to be done. But quite frankly, we're a week away, at least from getting to our recounts. I think this thing could go into uh, my bet. It goes into July, but I think it's a disgrace, a total disgrace. And they're still finding, they're still finding new ballots in Allegheny County and in Philadelphia. I think it says it all. You know, you know, Steve, I, when President Trump said to to Dr. Oz, just go ahead and declare victory. I thought, whoa, here, just a second. And then I realized I'm the one that should, whoa, just a second. I personally think he was exactly right. That's what he should have done. What do you think? I strongly advocated. In fact, if you go back and watch our show, we did live on 3 November of 2020. I was, and I, you know, talked to many people in the White House that Trump should have walked in front of the cameras that night at 10 o'clock and declared victory. We, you remember, Raheem and I went through the summer Right. of uh, 2020 and gave that lecture series on uh, the Transition Integrity Project, which was Mark Elias's efforts. We saw what they were doing with the mail-in ballots beforehand. I think Trump should have done it on 3 November, and I definitely think I should have done it the other night, particularly when AP, the Associated Press, has come out 
uh, and said that they're not going to declare a winner until the recount's over. So right now, the Republican the Republican nominee, whoever the Republican nominee is, is going to be a month after Fetterman is fundraising and dropping a dime on. That only leaves about four months, what, June, July, it leaves like four or five months for a campaign. It's, it's, it's a terrible place to be in. For your audience, I think it reinforces one thing. Forty, approximately $45 million will be spent on the Republican primary there. And among a handful of candidates, it's going to come down to five or 600 votes. Every vote in your, every vote in the Lou Dobbs audience, every vote in War Room, it absolutely counts. You're a force multiplier because this is insane. I mean, this thing is going to come down to a, a, a couple hundred votes. And I think Georgia tomorrow is going to do the same thing. So people got to understand these, these are tightly contested uh, elections and everybody has to get out. Everybody has to bring everybody out. They possibly can. And then we have two wild cards. One McCormick is saying he's going to win this no matter what anybody else thinks he's going to win this makes a, that assertion, which came right up to the border of saying, I'm going to be the winner. Uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, the, uh, the third candidate, Kathy Barnett, Barnett, uh, she, yeah. she is sitting there, not ready to endorse anybody and apparently won't. I mean, how does the Republican party get in these kinds of messes? I think one is that how nasty and personal it's getting in the, in the, uh, in the elections. And look, I, I don't agree with all the, the person I don't think these personal attacks help us at all. Cause that's what I was saying in Ohio, we have to come together afterwards and to be able to unite to make sure we defeat the Democrats. I think Pennsylvania is going to be tough. I think, you know, Dave uh, McCormick is a very proud guy, uh, you know, West Point grad, you know, billionaire from from basically being a hedge fund guy with your good buddy, Ray Dalio, that you've been hearing <laughs> for 20 years. Um, and, and look, there was some personal stuff said. I think these guys are, have got their their backup. And this is what I'm saying. I, I even about coming together. I think he's going to fight it in court. I don't see this thing ending until mid-June or July. I just think if you look at he's deployed 100 lawyers, they're going back to a Democratic uh, tactic of contesting and wanting to count, you know, every ballot and throw out all the ballots. Right. It's going to get very nasty. So it's, I don't know. We have to come together after this because Fetterman is a guy you don't want in the United States Senate. And I think it's incumbent upon us to do it. It's just people got to get focused and, and, and make that happen. But I think one thing is we take the, the vitriol, particularly on our side, the MAGA side, we take the vitriol, the personal attacks. And stick to the policy differences. Uh, I think it would be. Uh, I think that would behoove. I think it would help us a lot. I agree with you. Uh, it's getting to policy is a difficult thing these days. When you uh, start seeing uh, the party uh, organization, whether it be the state organization in Pennsylvania, that laid out they had a clear reform initiative and couldn't get it passed uh, in the legislature. Uh, and by the way, if they had done so. Most experts say that this would not, we wouldn't have any problem at all here. Uh, uh, Lou, 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 you are talking about a state legislature that passed Act 77, which essentially, let's be honest, was to decouple Trump from the platform so they didn't have to have one ticket voting. This was back in 19. For some reason, they, the state legislators thought that Trump was going to be a drag with the economy on fire. They believed right. the mainstream media thought Trump was going to be a drag on the ballot. They passed a bill basically to decouple the down ticket because you should vote for a ticket you, to, to yeah. decouple Trump. And in process, they gave mail-in ballots, of which the appeals court, Commonwealth Court of Appeals, just said six weeks ago, the 2.6 million ballots are illegal. They're unconstitutional. 
So we know it's a big steal. That, the state legislature up there is a mess. It's just a mess. Yeah. And it, it, they haven't been able to get on top of things. So look what we're, I mean, this is sick. When we're sitting here in, uh, you know, late May, and we don't have a winner in a, in a senatorial primary. This is not something running for county clerk or for some county supervisor. This is a major race in probably, I would argue, the two or three most important states in the union. Yeah, and uh, and by contrast, uh, one of the lesser important states in that regard, Montana. Its Supreme Court had the integrity to restore and election integrity, mandated voter ID and banned the same-day voter registration over the protestations of one Mark Elias. Uh, they know exactly what they're doing in the uh, court system in Montana. Uh, the legislature and the courts are the only two basic problems in Pennsylvania. Uh, so, uh, so it seems. Uh, let's, let's turn to this economy, the Biden economy. Gas prices, I love this headline because I knew it was bad, but to put this in context, 12 straight all-time record high set for gasoline, 12 straight days of record. It's the first time in history that that has ever happened for record gas prices. Your reaction? Lou, you know, I've been watching you for a long time. I think I've been watching you since I was a naval officer, which shows you how long ago it is, at least 30 or 40 years. Um, a lot that you've warned this country about is coming together right now. I mean, you're seeing the collapse of a complex system. And that's all because of policy. It's all because of policy. I mean, people go back and think of the fall and Christmas of 2019 of where the, how this economy was hitting on all sorts. Yep. I think at the time, gasoline was a buck 89. You think people today, Lou, would take a few mean tweets if they could get a buck 89 gallon of gas? I mean, this is how frivolous and how, how stupid the media is and the people that run our country to, to get all over President Trump for his tweets and to think about where he, by his policies and his action, brought this economy in that, that when the economy was literally on fire in the fall of uh, it's Christmas of 2019. You see what's happened. Look, it, this is, here's the problem. I don't see, you know, last week, Manchin sits there and calls out the Secretary of Interior to her face about this lease situation. And, and, and Dan Sullivan does the same thing in the Senate. And look, Manchin's no right-wing Republican. He's asking her about their policies about the leases in the Gulf and up there, and I think the cook in off of Alaska. And she says that she doesn't really know what's going on in her, her department. He has to put the letter up, the report that shows that they were not going to put these leases up. The, the Biden administration is taking actions every day to take capacity offline. So we have refining capacity problems, we have distribution problems, we have downstream marketing issues, but most importantly, they're trying to kill the carbon economy, and you can't have it both ways. You can't act like Greta Thunberg and then sit there and be and, be in, and blame it on Putin of why gasoline prices are, are so bad. Lou, I just saw last week where in, in the West Coast, they're starting to reprogram the gas pumps to have $10 a, a gallon yep. of gasoline. So I hope every consumer, have every working class person, whether you're a Democrat, independent, or unaffiliated, I hope you just understand that this November of what the policies coming out of the, the illegitimate Biden regime have done to you personally and, and, and gasoline and food, food, interest no. rates. I mean, you pick it, Lou. It's just a disaster for working class people. I want you to we're going to play some sound of President Biden uh, right now uh, uh, explaining the, the great transition that's under underway here 
the economics of it all. And I, and and Steve, I just want you to hear the newfound empathy that he has for uh, American working people, uh, for the middle class, uh, for working families. Uh, here is our president explaining it all. When it comes to the gas prices, uh, we're going through an incredible transition that is taking place that God willing, when it's over, will be stronger and the world will be stronger and less reliant on fossil fuels when this is over. Less reliant on fossil fuels. Wouldn't that be a, a wonderful, wonderful uh, result? Uh, this, your reaction? This is what I was saying. I mean, they're living in a fancy land. That, that, that talk right there is the happy, clappy uh, talk. of That was written by Greta Thunberg, right? This is this kind of airy-fairy, unrealistic about an advanced industrial economy. You, just, you can't do it on one power. You can't do it on solar power. Uh, you can't do it on anything. You've got nuclear power, and you've got, you've got fossil fuels. You can pick them. And they t- try to take all the nuclear power offline. The Greens have already shut down the nuclear power in Germany. It's one of the reasons that natural gas purchases in Western Europe are, are underwriting the Russian military machine that is laying waste to making Eastern Ukraine look like Dresden. It, it's just, it's, here's what's scary about it is these people, when they talk about transition, this is more severe than what they do about transitioning uh, men to women in their administration. This is, this is so serious and it's so fundamental. And these things can't be turned around. Once you take production offline, or once you don't, don't stop doing the leases, you just can't wave a magic wand and turn around again. So here's what I really fear. And I tell you, somebody else who fears it too is Larry Summers, who's no right-wing Republican and no part of MAGA, right? Remember, he was uh, Secretary of Treasury uh, under, uh, under Obama, and he was the National Economic Advisor under Clinton. That, um, you know, with this, the inflation's out of control, and the, the basis of this right now is this disastrous energy policy of the Biden administration. I don't think anything shows you how disconnected they are from people's lives than that, that clip right there. Yep. And, uh, this, this administration continues. Uh, what is the name of the new young, uh, lady, uh, uh, who is the, uh, press secretary now, uh, Jean Pierre. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. It's her, her ignorance is the fact that I think she's trying to like Saki did. I just think she has a different style with it. She's trying to deflect, and she's not trying to look. The policies themselves are so absurd to begin with when you got to put them against this basic rational, rationality and logic. Remember, it's a political operation, so they're always trying to spin. I just think that it's, it, you look at the facts on the ground, and the facts are the economy is crumbling around us. And they try to talk. A perfect example is uh, Biden coming out and trying to blame everything on Putin, everything on the Ukraine war. You know, all the energy problems because of Putin's uh, gas price, which they tried to spin and it didn't work. He's trying to push everything uh, to that it's all because of Putin. And people just understand that's not it. It's these policies he started of his own making, starting with the American Recovery Act, which Summers told him at the time, if you pass this, given the fact that aggregate demand is not collapsed anymore, you're just going to fuel systemic inflation. And that's what happened. Um, so I think across the board, She's up there every day in a very tough job, which is to defend the indefensible. What I tell people is don't worry about the spin and don't worry what comes out of the, the daily briefing. Look at their actions because their actions are quite radical. And I've argued this for a long time. It's not so much their cabinet members, who to me are all some level of incompetence. It's that radical. If you look at the undersecretaries and the assistant secretaries, 
they put in the most radical regime ever in an American government. And we are seeing the, you're seeing the results of that. I mean, the results are self-evident. I think that's also why the polling is so bad. They had economic polling the other day that had them to the 20s. 20%. About the people approving through the con- and, and Richard Barris told me Richard just came out of the field. He just put up a poll over the weekend in Georgia, and he was doing obviously for the primary tomorrow. But they were also asking additional questions as check-ins. He said that among independents in Georgia, approval of, of, of for approval of the economy, doing an excellent job, was at five point six percent. Excuse me, doing a good job. Not actually doing a good job was 5.6% among independents. Those are the lowest numbers ever recorded. So you can tell it's, it's, they don't have a messaging problem. They have a, they have a program problem. Uh, they've got a, they, we've, we've got a president problem period in this country. Uh, and, and another example, uh, the white house trying to immediately clean up the president's remarks uh, in which he said that uh, we have a military commitment to Taiwan Okay, so I think this is incredibly important. What I'd like to, to start off with is that they keep saying we're allies to Ukraine, and they keep talking. The Democrats now go in the well of the House, Denny Hoyer, and particularly keep talking in a time of war, when we're at war. Well, first off, Ukraine is not an ally of ours, right? This is the whole thing they're trying to push. And we've gotten into this now almost into a kinetic war. We're, fun, we're funding an economic war, but we're also underwriting a kinetic war in Ukraine. They keep pushing that there with this narrative that we have an ally that's at war under assault. Ukraine is not an ally of the United States and will never be an ally of the United States because an alliance with Ukraine would, would never, they'd never get approved in NATO. And the United States Senate would never approve it because you need two thirds votes. And I know at least you could get 40% of the, uh, of the Senate to say you're, you're, you're literally going to start an actual kinetic war with Russia if you do that. On concomitantly, I've always said that the two hot spots in the world are the South China Sea and Taiwan, and then the Northwest India up in Kashmir. Yeah. The South China Sea, and but you know, we, here's what here's what, and I'm I'm a huge believer in taking down the Chinese Communist Party because I don't believe it's a legitimate government. I think it's a transnational criminal organization. That being said, we do have an official policy that's a one China policy that Taiwan is a is a region of uh, of China, and they've got to figure out the, the way they reunified. Uh, obviously, uh, Taiwan being Silicon Valley West, it has to be defended. If, if Taiwan was to get into the CCP's hands, the American economy would drop 20, the stock market would drop 25%. You think Target and Walmart dropped bad last, bad last week? That would be nothing compared to well, the tech stocks if that so, fell. That being well, said, you've got to be very, watch pushing China to a kinetic conflict in the South China Sea or Taiwan right now because that one would be one that we would be very hard-pressed. We've done a bunch of specials on the defense of Taiwan with the Committee on the Press and Danger and, and on the War Room. And as much as my beloved Seventh Fleet, of which I was a sailor in and an officer, and patrolled the South China Sea, I patrolled the uh, Straits of Taiwan and Taiwan, we would have a very tough time right now. The United States would have a very tough time defending the island of Taiwan. Yeah, I don't know how many carriers we now have in the Sea of Japan, South China Sea, uh, and we're not really even certain right now, strategically, the value of those carriers against uh, Chinese uh, anti-carrier weapons, uh, including hypersonic missiles, uh, presumably in immense supply. It is, it's a struggle to understand what has happened to our military. And it's, the struggle is, bring, is brought into focus 
when you watch General Milley before the West Point uh, graduates giving his speech, uh, welcoming them uh, into the body of commissioned officers, talking about the rising risk of global conflict. Well, let me say first, Lou, that I'm certainly glad he was not talking about his normal thing of white rage and woke and, <laughs> you know, or coups against the president or calling the Chinese military uh, behind the back of the commander in chief. I, I think General Milley, if you believe Esper's book, is guilty of a coup against the president starting on June 1st of 2020. They admitted that they, they had the four no's of four things they weren't going to do, including a strategic retreat from Afghanistan. Uh, it is, uh, to me, that's a coup, and that Esper and Milley ought to stand trial uh, after we take power, either in 2023 with the House or the Trust Forces somehow. If not, we take back over the executive branch from President Trump wins in 24. Now, having had a daughter that graduated from West Point and has been at that ceremony, you know, it, it, you always want somebody senior to come and, and address him. And obviously, he's, he was chief of staff of the Army and now chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I, I thought the thing was, was, was garbled and, and didn't really have a flow to it and logic. And I both watched the speech on, on video and then I read the speech. The thing I found most, uh, I think the buried lead of it, he talked about artificial intelligence. And he essentially said that artificial intelligence is going to take over the battlefield in the next, you know, five or 10 years. And he actually, he actually said that artificial intelligence, we will not be or do not look to be the dominant uh, player. Right now, the military is built on a force structure and with our spending, a full spectrum dominance. In other words, the United States military wants to be in every aspect of combined arms, right. fully dominant of the battlefield, not, not competitive, but dominant. And we built the military, and hey, we pay a trillion dollars a year, so we ought to have the best. He basically said in there, the buried lead is that that the, the warfare of the future, based around the algorithm and artificial intelligence, you don't need to you don't need the deep seated structural forces that we have, and that AI and algorithms and, and quantum computers. If that's the case, then that means people like, in countries like uh, Russia, which is not obviously in the kinetic war you're seeing in, in the Ukraine. Is not does not have the combined arms capacities or capabilities in the U.S. may be competitive as far as a cyber strike on a uh, on a um, you know on, on a Pearl Harbor. And this gets back to something you've talked about for years: is the grid of security here for cyber attacks. I, I think Millie's thing was quite chilling. If you really listen to it and and watch it about what it implied for combat in the future, and so I think people got to really start paying attention to these what I call hybrid warfare. Economic warfare, information warfare, particularly cyber. Cyber is clearly going to be a war. But future, one last thing. You mentioned the, the carrier battle groups. I think right now we have three deployed carrier battle groups in that region. And I used to always steam with the carrier battle group because I was on a destroyer that was a plane guard ship. The, and it's in hunted submarines to clear the path for the, for the carriers. You're absolutely correct. And I think the big question is to be in the defense of Taiwan and our freedom of navigation of the South China Sea exactly what are these next generation weapons remember the one thing we have going for us against the chinese the chinese really have never had to fight combined arms in, in world war ii it's obviously mass warfare in a fairly rudimentary way all the mass casualties against the japanese army on the mainland but they've never really had to fight naval warfare they've never really had to fight air warfare they've done exercises but this would all be unique to them as we know from major conflicts like the second world war it really takes people being in combat and understanding how, how, to, how to fight the ship, as you call it, to do it. But these new weapons of cyber, and particularly hypersonic missiles, it's, it's kind of all out there to be uh, questioned. I will say this. 
my understanding is that you know blue versus red teams in these war games, the blue teams have not been coming out very well on these tabletop exercises because of the overwhelming might of the Chinese PLA underwritten by Wall Street and Wolf Corporations. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, you're talking about the economy, the overall, the global economy, the U.S. economy. Let me add a, a, another disquieting development that people need to be paying attention to, if I may, just as a slight digression here. Uh, as we're watching these capital flows out of our equities or out of our capital markets, but in particular equities, uh, because we're hearing a lot of talk about uh, eight weeks of declines in uh, Wall Street, and it's unprecedented. And we're then at the, at the same time being treated to all the business press, bringing this, you know, the sell side to the fore. And they're talking about, well, you know what, it's time to get by the dip. Uh, it's time to get ready. This We're <laughs> seeking a bottom. And at the, at, concurrently, the same group is saying that we think some of the best buys are in Asia. And we know that the best buys are in China. And, oh, we've got some for you in Europe. We're talking about diverting capital flows from the most secure equities markets in particular in the world. And it is rancid corruption. And if it continues at this, every time, I just want to tell everybody, when you see a, a business press publication, uh, business network, whatever it may be, start talking to you about how smart it is to put your money in China, you think about what you're investing in. You're investing in China's future, not ours. And you are also uh, depleting much-needed capital right now in a market that is going to be, I think, further roiled uh, by developments over the course of the next uh, six months to a year. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, uh, saying, you know, when you hear all these cheerleaders on particularly CNBC and some of the other business channels, right, they were familiar with, people come up there and they're talking about buying the dip. I mean, we use it as a joke here in the war room uh, because there's another thing on Wall Street, never catch a falling knife. And so I think let, let the professionals find out where the bottom is and let that bottom, let it strip along the bottom for a while before people start risking uh, in capital, you know, there's a thing, another thing on Wall Street is where are the customers' yachts? Uh, and I think that you've seen it here. I think I think people have been misled into buying a lot of hype. Let me just give you an example. Tesla, uh, and everybody's focused on Twitter uh, as what Elon Musk is, 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 is after. When Elon Musk started his bid on Twitter back in, I think, early April, I think it's been eight weeks, um, the market cap of Tesla was one, wait for this, was $1.2 trillion. The market cap of Tesla was $1.2 trillion. The market cap of Tesla today is about $680 billion. Let's say $700 billion. It's lost what, 400, it's about $500 billion. $500 billion in eight weeks of market cap. The combined market capitalizations of Ford, General Motors, Toyota, and Honda, which are Combine the four, you know, have ninety five percent of the real car capable manufacturing capability in the world of real cars, not not like in India or China or Brazil. I'm talking about you know major motive, motivated power right. powers. That, that, the market cap of that thing is under two hundred million dollars, like one seventy five. So he's lost almost two times the combined market capitalization. And it shows you the hype that's been in the market. It shows you the promotion that's been in the market. And now as we get into uh, reality, 
which you're going to see everybody, even Powell, saying that this is not going to be a soft landing. This is, and I just hope it's not a crash and burn. That people just got to be very sophisticated and very smart. They got to get as much information as possible. Whatever you do, don't listen to the cheerleaders, particularly yeah. people. When you hear buy the dip, cut the cut the TV off. That's yeah, I finally have. Really I finally have. I finally heard so much of it, Steve, uh, that I had to say something because it's now it's just gotten to absurd levels. And Jerome Powell talking about he doesn't know if it'll be a soft landing. He's just expressing the view of every uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve in history. Uh, there's no way to know if you can engineer such a thing because the Fed is not designed for engineering. It is an, it's designed for price stability. And they seem to be thinking that having a dual mandate along with low unemployment uh, it makes it just uh, a, a balanced enterprise, which is I, I don't know. I don't know if, if price stability is price. If price stability is his number one mandate. I'm not so sure that he's fulfilling the function <laughs> of his mandate because obviously prices are out of control. I mean, when Target can lose 25 percent of its market cap in one day last week, and, and Walmart, yep. um, you know, take the hit of what I think 15 percent, and Lou, you remember, I think you and I may be the only two people listening to this podcast. They remember 1987 when the market really had on a percentage basis, one of the worst days in its, in its history um, it, that, you know, they haven't seen that kind of drop since 1987. No. This is how bad it is. Yeah. So you're talking about something that we're going to extraordinary times. And look, Powell, because this administration has jammed themselves in the corner, he doesn't have a lot of options. I mean, he's, he's already signaled his basis point increases. And I don't think that that's choking that's choking, uh, you know, is choking uh, inflation out. As, as I did a back in the envelope with Dave Brad, the Fed funds rate today is 0.5%. And as you know, Luke, that was the biggest increase in, what, 20 years, because it's been close to zero, or the biggest bump. The Fed funds rate, as I calculate what it should be, is about 6.5%. So that's, what, six times more, six, eight times more. It's, 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 that's what the Fed funds rate should be. It's not... Uh, if you put it up there today, you would obviously put the economy into a massive recession. So yeah. I think that I think Powell's jammed into a corner by by their own by this administration's own making. Yeah, and the Fed, I, and I do think it's fair to say uh, that it's not just the Fed that is uh, cornered uh, here; it's the American people. And uh, the emphasis better be it better damn well be the American people because they're they're facing just about every kind of headwind imaginable. Aside from uh, you know, combat on the streets, I, this is a very serious moment in history, and people have to respond to it. Uh, people in government, uh, it's. Uh, and I want to turn because I know we're getting short on time here. I want to turn uh, to uh, the, the Sussman, the Michael Sussman trial. We now know from the lips of the campaign manager of the 2016 Clinton campaign that she is the one who drove the narrative of the Russian hoax, the Russian collusion, uh, disinformation campaign against Donald Trump. You have to be glorying in at least this development. The, um, you know, as the CEO of the 16 campaign, uh, you know, I should be mesmerized by this because it got Mark Elias, one of our enemies and, you know, sus and all these people. Here's why I can't even, and I say this reservedly, Lou, there's so much going on in the world. I hate to say that I can't even focus on here's why. After five years, or how long has Durham been? Four years, four and a half years? This is what Durham's got to show. In four, four and a half years, yeah. we have a trial going on on a guy that lied to the FBI 
or may or may not lie to the FBI. And what we got is Robbie. Of course, Hillary Clinton did this. And they're not going to do anything about it. And and Mook and all these guys are coming up and saying she did it. It was obvious they did it. She would do anything for political advantage. They would do anything to smear Trump or to try to stop Trump at that time. Uh, I should say I'm shocked. I'm not. What I'm disappointed in is if this is the end of it, if if Sussman is uh, kind of a marginal figure to a marginal figure, if this is what it is, uh, somebody should understand that after we take power with this new Congress and then the 2024 a lot of this is going to be opened back up again and, and got to get into it because this is ridiculous. If, if this is Durham's great uh, grand jury, if this is what it came up with, and people say, well, there's much more there. Well, hey, maybe it is, but the world, we're kind of overcome by events now because the world's <laughs> melting down around us. Uh, yeah. the, the managed decline of the country is evident, and and they're out there saying that, of course, Hillary Clinton ordered it. I mean, she, she wouldn't do anything to win, and she's totally amoral. And when I, I didn't suggest that, I, I hope I didn't, that you should be uh, either surprised or shocked. Uh, but I, I did say glory in it, uh, and because the simple matter is, we're light years from where we were. And I can't, at this point, I have to say at least there, I'm open-minded about the possibility but, 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 that John you know, Durham, after three years, uh, is going to go beyond this. Because I don't okay. believe that you're, at least half the American people will put up with it. <laughs> you're a man of faith. No, I think, by the way, there, there's all kind of crimes there, and I hope Durham does. I'm not holding out. I tell you what did surprise me about that, Lou, is how the people close to her rolled over on her quickly. Well, I mean, Elias and, and, and Luke, I mean, there's no Amerta. They basically threw her right under the bus. Everybody did. They, they said, oh, no, no, it wasn't me. It's her. She said it. She did it. She ordered it, essentially. She approved it, signed off on it. It also shows the mainstream media. I mean, look, we don't need to pound that uh, because people know it. But I think it's so obvious, even for the casual center-left viewer, how corrupt is this? How this could be going on in a courtroom in May of 2022 when this this happened almost six years ago? It happened six years ago, and it's so evident that it happened. It should have been put to bed and addressed at, you know, four or five years ago. It's just ridiculous that we're doing it now. So I think it's absurd. But I think for a lesson for everybody, particularly – when she starts running again, it, because she's going to run again, people should understand what she did, what she did, particularly the people that were closest to her, how quickly they rolled over on her. Uh, Klaus Schwab, our good friend from uh, Davos, Switzerland, uh, he he's giving uh, quite a party over there right now. Uh, something like 18 uh, health ministers, uh, good good old John Kerry, the, the, the climate emissary of this administration, 70, basically 70 foreign ministers and finance ministers gathering in Davos to get their marching orders from Klaus. Uh, and he has, hasn't been hesitant, has he? Well, no, I mean, today he kicked it off by saying that the future is going to be built by them. I mean, he was very open. He says, we have to, uh, we have to remember the stakeholders we represent, and we have to make sure that we continue to collaborate. And like I said, this is not Gateway Pundit or the Lee Dallas podcast or War Room. So there's no conspiracy theory here. He laid it out. I mean, he was pretty in your face. And this shows you how imperious these guys are. I mean, he was, quite frankly, they're building what they say is a new world order uh, predicated around the, the World Economic Forum and, and the, their values. Uh, and they're doing it, you know, this kind of what's called the Great Reset. They're far down the path. That's why. These primaries in states like Georgia tomorrow are so important. You got to, if the populist 
nationalists are to win, you got to continue to win elections. So I think this is what's so important about getting everybody out. This gets back to Pennsylvania. With $45 million spent, and all the fighting is going to come down to five or 600 votes over a couple, you know, over about a million and a half cash, will come down to 500 votes. So it's so it's incredibly important for all MAGA, all the Lou Dobbs fans in war room, got to get out tomorrow and you got to vote. I just want to just share with everyone what he did do, though. He warned everyone uh, about this week's event. Uh, I'd like to do this in in proper Swiss Germanic uh, voice, but he said they should. Not- I want to stop. Hold, hang a drum roll. Are you going to give me your Klaus Schwab invitation? Is that so? I'm going to get a Lou Dobbs Klaus Schwab invitation. No. I no, I better not. This. I wouldn't even so, hold it. I would have paid good money for this. I know. And, and we'll talk about that first. Uh, to trivialize the event or hijack its key messages, he will not tolerate it, including the often mentioned Great Reset. If you treat it with contempt, you will be treated with contempt. Contrary voices will simply not be tolerated, says Klaus Schwab. Uh, the new era is upon us, Steve. It's upon us, and I got to tell you, Jack Pasovic Lou was live from Davos today outside, and he was going to. He started the show. We were live from Davos, and we had uh, Nora Bin Laden live in Geneva to go through the World Health Organization. Uh, Jack was going to come back at the end of the show. He was detained by police. They came and detained him for about an hour, so he couldn't come back on the broadcast. And they just kind of said, "Hey, you've been under suspicion." I'm sure they saw the show. No, they will not tolerate any alternative opinions there. And I got to tell you, the Swiss people should be humiliated that that fiasco is going on in uh, in Davos and in, in, on the territory yeah. of Switzerland. But a new day is dawning, Lou, and uh, I don't yeah. think we're going to tolerate that that much longer. I uh, also think that uh, your your podcast is the best named uh, show to for these uh, these times and for upcoming developments. The, the War Room is going to be so appropriate. Uh, it has been throughout, but the war is about to expand, uh, and let's hope not get uh, as hot as I fear it might. Uh, Steve, we always give you the, the concluding thought. I'm just glad I can come on the Lou Dobbs show and the Lou Dobbs comes on the War Room. I'm, Lou, I'm glad you're, you're, you're back into the fight full time, and I got to tell you, you you've been a, a mentor to me for in Donald Trump for 30 or 40 years. And it, it's, I keep, keep telling people, if only the country had listened to, 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 to Lou Dobbs, we wouldn't be in the jam. We're in, and we're in a real jam now. It's going to take uh, all the efforts of the MAGA movement to turn, to basically defeat what's in front of us. And then we got the long task of turning this around. And I got to tell you, everybody's got to put their shoulder to it. There's no magic bullet here, but the American people have got to get control back of this government. And then we've got a lot of long, hard work to do so. I thank you. I always love coming on the show and I always love you having on the word. Thank you, Steve. Faith that loves you. I appreciate that. And uh, same back at you. Uh, We appreciate everything you're doing for the country and have done. And we look forward to, uh, to seeing you next on the war room, fighting the good fight. Steve Bannon. God bless you. Thank you, brother. Thanks everybody for being with us. And please join us here tomorrow when our special guest will be the 45th president of the United States, President Donald J. Trump. I don't have to tell you, you never want to miss President Trump. That's tomorrow, right here. Please be with us till then. God bless you, and God bless America.